Welcome to the Future Fix. I've covered enough city council meetings to know our politicians, public servants, and various agencies can all tend to be sort of risk-averse. I've heard many debates about all the reasons not to consider even trying something new, and there are reasons, political, safety, legal, etc. But what gets me excited is when people are willing to experiment. What if we tried something out on a small scale for a limited amount of time, all the while gathering data about the results? a pilot project, a pop-up, an intervention, call it what you want. That way, we can actually have informed debates about ideas instead of dreading aloud what could possibly go wrong. Sometimes, it's what we need to move forward with a good idea whose time has come. And mobility is one field in particular where experiments and ingenuity can really take things to the next level. You're listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. This is Season 3 of The Future Fix, an audio exploration of the way technology and data are shaping communities across Canada. I'm Glenn Bowerman. Each episode, we present community challenges and solutions and take you to places large and small from coast to coast to coast. In this episode, we take you to the West Coast to talk about experiments and research in public transportation. Camille Machado is Project Manager in New Mobility for TransLink, Metro Vancouver's transit network. Camille walks us through a number of fascinating experiments happening in that city that may have implications or provide solutions for transit all over Canada. Camille, I wanted to begin by asking you, what are some of the transportation barriers uh, for the people in the Metro Vancouver area? Because I I assume that they would be, uh, a lot of people in, in Canadian cities would have they could relate to it. So I wanted to ask if there are specific barriers uh, for transportation in Metro Vancouver or uh, just in general in a Canadian context. Yeah, especially from the new mobility point of view, we have been seeing a lot of uh, new modes coming. So we have new opportunities. We have now ride hailing. We have micromobility devices being deployed on the streets. So really Making sure that transit is still relevant and that people have more options, I think, is one of the biggest challenge. And making sure that this transition and this connection between modes, they are more seamless so people can actually rely on them on the day to day. I think that's one of the biggest challenges we are seeing lately. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you tell me what the new mobility lab is for TransLink? I don't work directly with the New Mobility Lab, but basically that's our initiative to work with academia mm-hmm. to develop research on things that are relevant uh, to us and, and quite new. So we have research being deployed, for example, the impact of ride hailing because they they went they were deployed in 2020, so they're quite recent for Metro Vancouver. 
And we have like on blockchain, like many other things that are related to transportation, but they're basically, it can, it can change a lot in the transportation field, but they are quite new. So we want to learn more. So that's the, the main objective of the lab. And for you, uh, as a project manager in in this new mobility world, uh, what is what does that entail? What's a day to day for you like? Yeah, so uh, within TransLink, we have TransLink Tomorrow, which is our commitment to continuously explore, to test, and implement mm-hmm. innovative ways to improve mobility Metro Vancouver. So. That being said, we have many initiatives and and among them we have what we call pilot projects where we are trying new things. So as a project manager, my role is really to work on the pilots in the implementation to make sure they align with our long-term strategy, which by the way, we approved in January of this year. So it's a very interesting document also uh, to go through. And basically, it's uh, working with vendors, making sure it's aligned with strategy and deploying the day-to-day. We have uh, pilot projects uh, on areas like on-demand transit, on mobility as a service, on carpooling, uh, promotion of carpooling, for example, Vampool. So they're like a, a vast array of uh, pilot projects that we are testing within the organization. Yeah, and I'd like to go through some of those pilots, uh, if you don't mind. Starting with the shared mobility compass card, I think that's a lot of administrations all over Canada have been trying out a a variety of different fare mediums and all kinds of things. Uh, But uh, there's something uh, really interesting about the shared mobility compass card. Can you introduce that for us? Definitely. So the Share Mobility Compass Card uh, was our first mobility as a service pilot project. Mm -hmm. So it ran between October 2019 and August 2020. And during that period, we have approximately 160 employees from uh, 13 selected businesses in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And all these employees, they receive what we call a special Compass Card, which basically, so Compass Card is the, the card that we use to access transit. So for that particular program, that card would not only access transit, but serve as an access token for bike share and car share as well. Hmm. So as long as people could tap the card, they would have access to the the bus, to train, to ferry, to uh, car share and the bike share. That information would be captured and all the billing was sent to the companies at the end of each month. So no paperwork really streamlined the process. But that program was very tailored to address work-related travel. So how we could make work-related travel more efficient, more sustainable, and also provide an alternative so people don't need to drive uh, when they have these kind of trips in the middle of the day. So we had very positive feedback. uh, And now we are working on what we call a phase two that unfortunately it's coming, but we cannot disclose much. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that we'll be a much more technological solution. So we, for phase one, we didn't have an app, for example. We're basically addressing the payment piece, an integrated payment and very seamless uh, in terms of uh, the, the actual travel, but people didn't have an option for planning, for example, the trip when they're talking about multimodal trips. So for phase two, what we are aiming is to launch an app base, so mobile app base, where people can plan their trips, they can book, they can pay, they can do everything within within the app, and keeping also transit, a bike share, and car share, at least at the beginning, and then expanding uh, over time to other modes as well. 
Right. And, and what kind of uh, employers uh, did you reach out to? I, I imagine this could be used for any major employee centers, like a university, an airport, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, we have, we try to reach a very, um, a kind of a wide range of employers. So we have like smaller, large organizations. We have private, public organizations. We have startups. So what we we did was to try to locate companies where all the servers were available. So that would be meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. And then we invited almost 90 companies that we all had uh, contacts. And then we ended up signing contracts with 13 of them that accepted uh, to join the program. And I think a very... Kind of a, an interesting way of kind of showing that the program was adding value was that when the COVID came, the pro- the program was uh, supposed to start in May, but we didn't have enough data. So we decided to expand until August mm-hmm. and all the employers decided to expand and sign agreements uh, to expand that because they really see the, saw the value. Uh, and they also, some of them ask for a more permanent program. The big challenge for us was really the technological piece because there was a lot of manual work. We always designed the program to be a project with a start and end Mm -hmm. because of resource allocation. So we knew since the beginning we would need technology to help us both in the front end. So the users would be, we have more options for like trip planning and booking, for example, and also in the back end for all the billing and streamlining all the process. So it wouldn't be that manual if we decided to scale up. Yeah, uh, I think uh, a good place to go from there would be uh, to, to get into Vanpool. Can you explain Vanpool for us? Yeah, so Vampool is a program that we have been developing since 2018. Right now, it's a partnership with UBC, and we deploy that using CarShare as well. So once the employees arrive to their destination, that van is actually available to anyone who needs to use until the time they have to commute back home. Uh, So we have around 50 people joining, and we are in the process of expanding. And we also have deployed many surveys with big employers here to understand their needs. Of course, that we don't want to deploy Vampool in downtown Vancouver, for example, is really targeting places where uh, biking, cycling, walking and transit is challenging for the employees. Mm -hmm. So we target industrial businesses like big employers like uh, universities and so on. Uh, So idea is to really expand that in the near future. We're just working with the expansion of contracts and the supply chain issues with additional vehicles. That's what have um, prevented us to, to expand uh, sooner. Can you tell me uh, how the relationship with the car share works? Yeah, they're actually contracted by us. Mm-hmm. So they provide the cars. And one thing that why we decided to go with car share instead of just like heading, getting vans was really to get this flexibility. So we could expand faster and we also could let other people benefit from the vehicle when they are when the, they are idle. So during, let's say, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., that the vehicle would just be parked. Anyone can just rent the vehicle, use that as long as they uh, return the vehicle before the time that employees are leaving. So that was kind of the the, the basically rationale before uh, behind getting a car share instead of just vans. And so, what will be a metric for success for Vampool? I think we have many metrics uh, to uh, to account for the success. And I think the big benefit is really reducing congestion. So usually we are talking about replacing five cars by one van, mm-hmm. five to seven cars. Those people usually they drive alone. So before there was not like carpooling or anything like that. 
So we have impact on congestion, on greenhouse gas emissions. We also calculate that based on the actual vehicle they were driving before and the vehicles they are driving now. And it's really about also changing behavior. So people feeling more confident that, you know, like they, they can share the trips, they're having a, um, a lower impact and they're spending way less than if they were driving their own car. So we provide the benefit for the employees in terms of cost, sustainability and congestion and also to the employer because they have more reliability. They're all coming together and uh, they also have to offer just one parking space, for example, instead of five or, or, or six, sometimes seven uh, different ones. And I imagine if uh, you were to scale this upwards and outwards, I should say, you know, uh, data would play a, a big part in it, uh, knowing uh, where the, the centers are, where people are, uh, you know, using single single op- occupant vehicles to get to and from work. Uh, uh, are you able to, to access that data or are you in the process of gathering it? Yeah, definitely. So we are doing these surveys with big major employers to understand where the employees are located Mm -hmm. so we can pull them. So there are two factors that uh, make Vempool a little bit challenging, depending, especially if you're talking about uh, shift workers, is really about what time they start and they end the Mm -hmm. work because it has to be at the same time to make it work. And also if they leave in the same region or if some people can be picked up uh, on the way. So that also has to be analyzed. So what we do is we ask the employers to join and the employers uh, they deploy these surveys uh, to their employees to really understand the potential for example. Once we have that data, we see the potential. So we can form, for example, 10 vans of five people throughout the region. We know the origin destinations. We know the time of the day, the potential. But then it's really up to the employees if they want to sign up or not. So we offer the service and then we kind of do the matching process. And that matching process before it was done manually. We are trying to also include technology now. So we are adding a company that will actually do that for us. So they will do all the matching. So as long as the employees, they do all the registration, they will know where they, uh, how the matching work and they will pop up messages automatically to the employees. So this matching process is being automatized as well to make it more meaningful. And we also allow the users, the customers, to see where their vehicles are. So they can track in real time so they know exactly when they have to be outside because the vampoo is coming. I think that's another big benefit, especially if you're talking about Vancouver and the rainy season. So nobody needs to be outside in the rain waiting for the vampoo to arrive. Right. And this kind of relates to the the on-demand service that you're you're looking at. Uh, I think a, a lot of people when they think of transit, uh they they adapt their their lives to fit uh, transit schedules and and that may be why in some cases uh things like uh you know, on-demand ride-hailing services are, are kind of poaching some uh potential uh transit riders. But uh this is interesting. How how does on the on-demand service that you're looking at work? Yeah, so we have deployed one pilot project uh, with on-demand transit on Bowen Island in 2019. Mm -hmm. So we operated that for two months, and the idea was really to understand how the app would work and the appetite would work and also how that could be served as a planning tool for us, especially when in areas we want to address coverage. So on-demand works best for uh, low-demand areas, right? When we have like a lot of people at the same time take it bus. It's where fixed route is really the ideal solution. But for those places where we have a large area and fewer people uh, taking 
uh, transit, then it's when on-demand makes sense. So that's why we deployed on on Bowen. So we have like this closed environment. We could test it out. We didn't for that pilot. We didn't remove the fixed route. So we deploy that on on top of the fixed route, and we run that for two months during the summertime, which is kind of peak. Also, um, many people go there. Like they travel a lot. It's a very touristic place. And the, the result was very positive. So we received very positive reaction. The app was highly rated and we got people like we, we really saw an uptake in transit ridership during that period as well. The big challenge for us is really about the cost. So the cost is still higher than fixed route. And that's mm-hmm. what prevents us to deploy our other on-demand services across the region. But in since we have deployed that, we have been tracking and monitoring other deployments and seeing what the technology has been involved and how we can further use uh, the service or this this kind of solution in other areas of Metro Vancouver. But right now, we don't have any any pilot in place around the main transit. Maybe you can walk me through it, like from the perspective of a rider. So I, you know, I I gotta get to work. I I step outside. Uh, I, I I pull up my phone, I guess. And uh, how do I how do I use this on demand service? Yeah, you download the app, and then you have uh, the app. You have to select your origin destination. If it the ride, it's for right now. Usually, on demand rides are the most efficient. Some services they only provide that. Uh, for that pilot, we allowed people to book up until fourteen days in advance. So they could book for the next two weeks, any day, set the time, and they would receive notification when they have around half an hour for the ride to take place. Mm-hmm. And from that time on, they could actually track the bus so that you know how far the bus are, like where exactly the bus is and how far it is from you. So you could better prepared and you should be on the pickup location by the time uh, you are assigned. And then if you're there, you just get into the bus the driver will know that because you you just enter the bus and will just drive to your destination. So very similar. Once you put the destination, it really works like ride hailing. But instead of having a car with just a driver, you're going to receive a bus with many people inside. And we also have uh, going to receive an AT of when you're going to arrive. So you can also be aware of how much time you take. Usually it's a little bit longer than a, straight, uh, a direct uh, ride. but I think the pooling piece is really interesting. Right. And and so I, I imagine uh, you, you have some system where you take in all the requests and uh, could come up with a, a route based on uh, what what which requests are coming in and from where and, and for what time. Exactly. And that's all done through the technology. So the, the technology right now, they do all the routing. They create all the routing the most efficient way. So they, the driver, for example, know the order they have to stop and who will be be dropped off uh, in certain points. Right. So it's really following the, the list. And I could see a future where if you were to expand this program, you could put in automatic uh, regular requests, like every every Monday at, at five o'clock or around five o'clock, I need to go because, you know, if, if I'm going to work or if I have the same kind of shift or, uh, you know, this time every week, you know, I got to get to the grocery store, that kind of thing. Exactly. And yeah, you can set up recurring uh, rights. And the one thing that for us was a little bit challenging was the cancellation. So we have since it's really easy to book and payment only happens after once you board the bus. 
So that was a big challenge for us that I imagine needs to be addressed once we go to an, uh, another deployment. It's really how we prevent people to cancel in last minute because that impacts the entire routing mm-hmm. of the system. But right now, as I mentioned, as technology evolves, we have more ways of knowing that in real time and also messaging people or even charging them when they uh, finally get the bus. I find this particularly fascinating because the, the first episode of, of this special series that, that we do called The Future Fix uh, was uh, talking to someone from Ingersoll, Ontario, who uh, was doing something similar, but that that municipality partnered with Uber. And, you know, some some of the concerns were like, Okay, well, this this works because Ingersoll is is a, a small town, like small population wise, but people are spread out, uh, and so they they wanted to try out this sort of door to door service on demand. But uh, here, it sort of seems to be taking that idea, but uh, keeping it within uh, the umbrella of uh, of the public trans- transportation service. Exactly, and and the main idea behind that was uh, really the main purpose of the pilot project was to learn. So we want to learn as much as we can. So the operational piece is really important as well. So we know, for example, all the challenges the driver have. So we were able to collect all the, the feedback from both riders and the drivers. So we have like focal groups with drivers. We have uh, interviews with them to really understand how the, how the experience was. Because we are asking them to do much more than before, right? They have to have a tablet, they have to look that, they have to follow a route, the route is different every time. And interesting enough, they were very excited actually uh, to drive uh, and to kind of try something new, but we also know that's not what we expect to all the drivers, right? So uh, I think we have to to have the right profile as well and they have to feel comfortable doing that. I'd just like to ask you uh, next, uh, obviously there's some things you can't talk about that are in the works, but like, uh, is there anything you can kind of preview that you're you're looking at or in talks about uh, that uh, might be on the horizon? Yeah, we actually have many pilots coming. Uh, some of them we cannot disclose yet, but mm-hmm. we are working with AI technology, with uh, illuminated signage, with the share mobility, as I mentioned, with mobility as a service, something that's even bigger and, and and next phase should be directly to consumer. And we also have right now an open call open until September 30th, where we are accepting any projects that's related with decarbonization. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely something that's priority for TransLink. And we and you can definitely hope that we will will be deploying pilots related to decarbonization next year. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a transit fan, and so I, I try to follow these things uh, across Canada and even even over the world. And I just it feels like you all are taking some pretty big swings. I mean, yes, at, at limited scales, but like a pretty pretty radical ideas. You know, how how did this come about? How how do you have the latitude to to explore these things? Yeah, that's actually uh, I mentioned before the translink tomorrow is really the mandate to really try out all these new technologies. So like the, the mobility uh, ecosystem is changing really fast with all these trends of shared mobility, autonomous driving, connectivity, electrification, they're all changing the landscape. Mm-hmm. So in response to that, TransLink create what we call the TransLink Tomorrow, which is this strategy to really try out all these new technologies, all these new concepts. Uh, of course, in small scale, so we can learn with 
that we can understand what makes sense should become programs and what uh, probably technology is not there yet. It should be, be put on hold. So we have all this pipeline of initiatives to really test all this, this uh, new things that are coming. And we also recognize that the private sector moves really fast much faster than the public sector. So partner up with the private sector to leverage, you know, this speed in terms of innovation and also to make sure that our customers have access to the latest trends and they also have access to a better service through this technology is really important for the for the organization. And and from your experience, uh, you know, do you do you have recommendations for other Canadian municipalities? I mean, a lot of Canadian municipalities are dealing with similar challenges of c- congestion, uh, trying to, especially after COVID, trying to maintain their ridership uh, or even increase it, uh, you know, if, if things go well, you know, to take cars off the road and tackle congestion to address sort of ideas of uh, equity and that, that everyone can have a, a safe, reliable, affordable uh, ride to where they need to go. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And it's hard to to have like a one uh, advice, mm-hmm. but I think really testing out in a small scale so you don't waste resources. And we also have the speed of actually learning from experience. It's really important. So we know that there's a lot of research, there's a lot going on, and sometimes really hard to keep up. But really focusing on a few initiatives that can make the difference and have a potential to really change and even become like a big things like mobility as a service, on-demand transit, all these new uh, new ways of doing mobility. I think it's really interesting to test it out, even in small scale, learn with that and then take bigger decisions instead of trying to take make all these big decisions without having a good understanding of what that requires and all the technology gaps that we currently have. All right. Well, Camille, as I said, as, as a transit nerd, I, I find this so, it was a really fun uh, conversation. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Obviously, a lot more goes into what I'm calling experiments than just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. Research informs what to test, and the tests themselves provide the basis of new research. It may be a long time before a pilot project provides enough data and garners enough faith and political will to be scaled upwards and outwards. But any good scientist knows, you won't find answers if you don't ask the right questions. In a world of constantly changing technology and involving transportation needs, the freedom to experiment in mobility is the fix. Thank you for listening to the Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. We are a partnership between Spacing Magazine and Evergreen for the Community Solutions Network, a program of Future Cities Canada. As the program lead, Evergreen is working with Open North and partners to help communities of all sizes across Canada navigate the smart cities landscape. The Community Solutions Network is supported with funding provided by Infrastructure Canada. This podcast was produced by myself, Glenn Bowerman, and Neil Hinchley. Original music composed by Neil Hinchley. Our content consultant is Sanchita Rajvanchi. See you next time.